You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning, look at 1 Kings chapter 11 this morning, if you would. 1 Kings chapter 11, we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, In the Peanuts cartoon, you know, Charlie Brown, Lucy is reading a story to her brother Linus. And as she reads the story, she says, So the king was granted his wish. Everything he touched would turn to gold. Now the next day, and when he got there, Linus stood up and said, Stop! You don't have to read anymore. I just know how this is going to end It always happens this way. These things have uh, an idea of always turning out to be bad. And we know the story of King Midas and the Golden Touch. We've been in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 10, and the truth is Solomon is painted in positive hues. I mean, we see his wisdom, we see his wealth, we see his renown, we see people coming to Yahweh through the fame of Solomon and the fame of the Lord. And we get this glimpse that maybe, just maybe, God's people are dwelling in safety and peace and prosperity. And covenant promises are coming true. We've seen David and now Solomon. And things look good. We come to chapter 11 and it begins with this word, but we can almost hear a thud. And we're aware that sadness is coming. Let's look together this morning at 1 Kings chapter 11 and read our story. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wife turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed on their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And it commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, thou hast not kept my covenants, 
and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant, notwithstanding. In thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David thy servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Here's the story. Solomon loved strange women. You've got to be careful with this because when the Bible says that Solomon loved strange women, it's not like, man, that chick is crazy. Okay? That, that's not what he's talking about. When the Bible says he loved strange women, it means he loved foreign women. And we've got to be careful with this. This is not a race problem. This is not a cultural problem. This is a covenant problem. There were women outside of the covenant. So Solomon loved strange women. Solomon was warned by God. He was warned by God in our text. I mean, the text tells us that, but we remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3 and 1 Kings chapter 9. God specifically said to Solomon, don't do these things. I mean, it was clear, but not only in the text. We know that King Solomon had to read the law of Moses as the king. He had to read it and know it. He knew what God said about these issues. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse number 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. And so God gives a law and says, listen, don't multiply wives. God's perfect way was one man, one woman for life. Don't multiply wives. That's not my plan. That's not my program. And then he says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verses 3 and 4, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. He's talking about the people of the land they came into. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou make unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. God says, don't multiply wives and don't marry the lost. Listen to me this morning. Young men, young women, you are, and, I was going to say old men and old women, but I won't say that. Someone might be offended by that. Older men and older women, God has told us we are to marry believers. Don't even entertain the idea that somehow this guy, this girl who is lost, is going to be your missionary project. That's not God's calling for you. And so this morning you say, oh my goodness, pastor, I've done this. I married an unbeliever. Or we were both lost and I trusted Christ and I'm married with an unbeliever. What do I do? Do I pack it up? Do I annul this thing? Do I quit? Do I get a divorce? No. You do what Peter and Paul said. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, listen, stay and live your life out in front of them as believers, praying that God would see the difference in your life and they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's what the Bible says. But Solomon knew this. 
don't multiply wives, don't make marriages with the lost. And Solomon's heart was wrested away from the Lord. And it's sad. This is really a sad, sad story. And when we look at Solomon's life, we have this bookend, these bookends in his life. In 1 Kings 3, 3, Solomon begins, and as he begins, it says, and, the Lord, and Solomon loved the Lord. And we come to chapter 11, verse number 1, and it tells us Solomon loved foreign women. This is his life. He starts out loving the Lord, and by the end of it, he's not loving the Lord anymore. You say, yeah, I see the story, I get it, but this really doesn't apply to me because I don't have a thousand spouses. You wouldn't want anyways. Nor am I worshiping Molech. I'm not there. This seems to be Solomon's problem, but certainly is not my problem. My friend, I want you to see what's going on here, because there's more happening than just these marriages. We're talking about a first commandment problem. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're talking about an affection problem. What drives our heart, what we love. And by the way, everyone in here, whether you believe it or not, you do have a heart. This is our problem today. Make no mistake about it. The God of heaven this morning is concerned about your heart and my heart. And again, we're in the Old Testament. Do you know in, in chapter 11, from verses 2, 2, 3, and 4, the word heart is mentioned five times. It's mentioned throughout the whole chapter. But this is the Old Testament. This is the law. These are the rules. These are the regulations. Listen, Old or New Testament does not matter. The God of heaven is concerned with your heart and my heart. And when we use the phrase heart this morning, it's not just my feelings. When the Bible says the heart, it means my feelings, my will, my intellect, the center of who I am. So, This is not just Solomon's problem. This is our problem as well. Solomon left his first love. Solomon had other affections. And and I think sometimes we hear this and we know this, and it's like, yeah, yeah, but, but I'm the exception. I want you to see something interesting in Nehemiah chapter 13 uh, this morning. I find this somewhat fascinating. Look at what Nehemiah says. Remember, Nehemiah comes back into the land after exile. And the children of Israel were banished from the promised land because of their idolatry. They're turning their back on God. They come back to the land, and he says, And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them. Now listen, I have to tell you something. Part of the reason I like this portion of Scripture is really bad that I like it, because here's a pastor, and this is how he's really frustrated here. And I want you to see what Nehemiah does that I think most pastors wish they could do at times. He says, I contend with them, I cursed them, I smote certain of them, and I plucked off their hair. 
I mean, people are frustrating. And Nehemiah says, not I wish I could do this. Nehemiah does it. Now, not that I would ever think that way. Forgive me, I have thought that way. But he's frustrated with them. He said, so angry, I cursed them. I hit them. I pulled their hair out. Uh, Pretty serious stuff. Then he says, I made them swear by God, saying, ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons and take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet, now watch this, among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. And what he's saying is, listen to me, Solomon, the man who the Lord loved, the man who he made king, the king, like, there was no other king like him, and yet he fell in this area. And so, listen to me, this morning, this is a heart problem. This is a first commandment problem. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart. And so, we must take heed to what's happening in Solomon's life. We must take heed to our own life. Now, let's notice a couple things before we move on. Look at verse number four of our text. Verse 4 tells us that it came to pass. And there's this sense like there's this gradual change happening in Solomon's life. It is a slow process. It's like it's almost um, imperceivable. You can't perceive what's happening, but something is happening. And in Solomon's heart, what's happening is, slowly but surely, his affections have changed, and he is drifting away from his God. Listen to me. Little sins, left alone, always become greater sins. Believer, we do not drift into holiness. It's like, I'm just just drifting along. We don't drift into holiness. We drift into complacency. We drift into apathy. We drift into sin. We drift away from our God. And the Bible says that it came to pass. There was a process that happened in Solomon's heart, the same process that happens in your heart and my heart. Look at the next phrase. When Solomon was old. We don't know how old Solomon was when he began to reign. Right? Scholars think he was maybe 18, probably in his 20s. So, at 18, 20 years old, the Lord appears to him the first time, grants him wisdom, everything is cool. I mean, you can tell the Lord is pleased with him and what he asked for. Then Solomon builds the temple. He builds his palace. It takes him 20 years. After 20 years, guess what? The Lord appears to him again. And we get the idea after this second appearance that things are still good with Solomon. So we come to this text, and I want you to know something. At this time in Solomon's life, he is at least 40 years old, possibly 50, maybe 60. This morning, it doesn't matter how advanced you are in your age 
or how advanced you are in your spiritual maturity, none of us are of danger in this area. None of us. We, we give lots of attention to our youth, and we should. Our young people today are growing up in a world that, quite frankly, sucks. And they're exposed to things today that we wouldn't have imagined 15, 20 years ago. And it's all at their fingertips. And so we ought to be concerned. We ought to mentor them. We ought to love them. We ought to guide them along. We ought to give them the word of God. We ought to warn them and all those things. But can I tell you something? Let's not forget about the 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds who must finish strong. How can they make it if our 40, 50, 60, 70, and 80-year-olds aren't making it? We are not out of the danger zone, my friend, because the battle of this heart is an everyday, ongoing battle. You feel it. I feel it. We know this to be true. And it's deceptive, man. And so it doesn't matter how advanced we are in our age. Solomon was an old man by Bible standards. 40, you know what I'm saying, 50, 60. And when he was old, his heart was turned. And it doesn't matter your spiritual experience. Well, I've seen the Lord do this in my life, and then I was in my 20s, and I was in my 30s. So what? Those are past experiences. And Solomon had the Lord appear to him twice. And he blew it. He blew it. I don't know how you want your life to be bookend. He loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. But, but what's the end of that? What, what? When it's all said and done, you know what I want? I want it to be, he loved the Lord, and at the end of it, when he took his final breath, he loved the Lord. And I think for you it's the same, but I'm telling you, it's not just going to happen because there's a battle that's raging for the affections of our hearts and it rages every day in our lives. And if we do not guard it, if we're unaware, if we drift, we don't know where we drift to. We just don't know. And so, let me give you a few thoughts this, this morning as we close out. Look with me, if you would, at, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. And Peter gives some valuable instruction here. Look at verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Listen to his words. He says, my beloved brother, sister, listen to me. Abstain from fleshly lusts because they are at war with your soul. Now, sometimes we hear fleshly lusts. It's like, okay, fleshly lusts, those are all evil, bad things. And granted, they are evil, bad things. But the truth is, that fleshly lust literally means just cravings within us. And these cravings and affections and desires within us, even though they're not always bad things, they can become exaggerated. We can become our focus. They can consume us, consume us. They're fleshly desires, and we all have them. And for some people, it, it is. It's women. 
It's men. It's money. It's stuff. It's cars. It's shoes. Right? For others, it's attention. It's praise. It's acceptance, security, control, comfort. There's this battle going on, and what Peter says is, listen, my dear brother and sister, wake up, understand that this is at war with your soul. And if you think, okay, yeah, fine, that's good, that's not a problem for me, you are a fool. We must guard our heart. Now listen, I'm going to give you three things this morning, and I mean quickly, three things. Um, and this is not, okay, I got these three things, I'm good for life, because you know this, your heart is an idle factory. <laughs> I, I mean, the next day it's something new it's on to. But I think that Peter gives us some things to really help us out, at least to consider, as we understand this war that happens within our hearts for other things. Verse 11 says that we are strangers and pilgrims. Strangers and pilgrims. You might think, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Stranger means I'm just passing through. I'm a pilgrim, which reminds me or should remind me and remind you that we are not going to be here forever. And and we know that, but we don't think about that. And if that's the case, then all of the cravings and all of the desires, the thing that brings us the most pleasure, you think about whatever that is, that will not last. And you know the story. The other day, I went out with one of my friends, and, and I hadn't eaten in the morning. I've been trying to eat better, and the place we go has decent food. Sometimes not so decent, but decent food. And so they had this fish and chip thing there. And I, I almost always get that. I've been trying to, but I was starving at this fish, and it was so good. It was so good. I ate, I licked my plate. It was so good. Grease all over the place. I got home. I got to tell you, it was a Wednesday night. I almost didn't make it through prayer meeting on Wednesday. I was so sick from that nasty, greasy fish and chip that was so good, that I loved, that was like, woohoo! I'm loving this. It did not last. It cannot last. And that, that was actually a bad experience. Also, the lemon chicken there is terrible, too. Don't ever have that. Anyways, <laughs> why do we go there, Mike? I don't know. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. And those cravings, they can never come through with what they promise. They don't last. Listen to what Richard Baxter says. This is a long quote, but I, I think it's worth seeing. And, and he's very graphic. The Puritans are like that. They, they say some things like, oh, my goodness. But he makes a point. Listen to what Baxter says. When the skull is cast up with the spade to make room for a successor, you may see the hole where all of the meat and drink went in, and the hideous seat of the face, which sometime was a discovery of wantonness, of pride, and scorn, but you'll see no signs of mirth or pleasure. Go to the grave and see there the end of fleshly pleasure and what is all that it will do for you at the last. Now think about what he just said. Go to the grave, put the spade in the ground, come up with a skull, and see the hole in the mouth, in the eyes, in the ear that took in all of this pleasure, and what you won't see is any of that pleasure. It's death. It's empty. 
It is nothing. And yet this is what draws our heart away from God is the stuff that we know cannot, will not last. Now I'm not telling you to go to the grave this afternoon and dig up a corpse. I'm telling you what Baxter said. And it makes sense, doesn't it? When our heart is battling, we must remember, first and foremost, we are strangers. Number two, look what he says in verse 10. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are strangers. Number two, when we battle these affections of our heart, we must remember that we have been shown mercy. We must constantly move from our desires, our sinful behavior, to the gospel. My dear friend, never grow weary of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our hope. It's not we begin at the gospel and then we go. No, it's the gospel from A to Z. It is the gospel. And so many of us, we we forget that we were running a hell-bound race. And some of you this morning... You are running. You are sprinting toward destruction. You're not watching. You're not listening. Your eyes are gazed on your goals and your dreams and your plans. And I'm telling you something. You are running hellbound into an eternity without Christ. And you're not going to be okay. Because the only thing that can save us is the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And without him, there is no hope. And for the rest of us, we too were running a hell-bound race. And yet, we've been shown mercy. Mercy. That's what we have. Mercy. The unmerited favor of God, Stephen Charnock said, his death is the ground of all our good. And it is. And when these desires pull at our hearts, we must remember we're strangers and that we have been shown mercy. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves or our pleasures or our desires or our, our own affections, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So as we battle this heart, we're strangers. We've been shown mercy. And number three, look at verse number nine of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're strangers. We've been shown mercy. And our job is to show forth the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, Now listen, this is a little tricky because um, we naturally don't sing praises of those we don't love. Right? Um, If Kim and I are at odds with each other, um, I'm not going around singing her praises how great she is. You understand that? She's not here this morning. It's not that we're at odds with each other. She's with her sister, okay? So we're not fighting. <laughs> it's not a problem right now, okay? We do fight, but that's, that's not today. So she's not home, all right? But after she hears this recording, I'm sure we'll be in a fight over this, all right? 
But, but when, we're not, when I'm not loving on her, it's not like she's the greatest thing. But when I know her and I'm thinking about her and I, I view all the things that she's done with me, it is, it is easy for me to sing her praises. And I find for us as believers, our problem is that these affections have drawn us away from Christ and we don't even know the God that Christ is. Listen to what uh, Richard Sibb said. I found this amazing. He said, what the heart likes best, the mind studies most. What the heart likes best, the mind studies most. And, And here's our problem. We get saved, and we think we're done growing in Christ. Can I tell you something? How can you quit growing in the one who is unsearchable? And there's something beautiful that happens for the believer. When When my mind starts thinking about Jesus Christ, I want to know him more. And as I learn of him, you know what happens? I love him more. And as I love him more, I want to know him more. And as I know him more, I want to love him more. And as I love him more, I want to know him more. You see what happens there? And then, as I know him, and I'm full of him, it's easy for me to sing forth his praises. And when I do that, you know what happens? All these other affections that clamor for my attention and my love and my time and my energy pale in comparison. We, we are on Wednesday nights. We've been going through prayers um, of saints from the past. And this last week, we just talked about um, Patrick, St. Patrick, right? Um, he, he wasn't the Irish guy with just, you know, with just beer all the time. There was more to his story than that. Actually, a believer who was a missionary who went back to the land in which he was a slave. But I think Patrick sums it up about Christ in his prayer. He's talking about God delivering him from temptations and vices, and then he says this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. It's all about Jesus Christ. And for him, it was easy to sing his praises. And so, two questions this morning. Number one, what has captivated your heart? What has captivated your heart? You need to think about that. And be honest about it. Don't do this, the cheesy, I'm going to church, I love Jesus. And, and, and yeah, for an hour, that's great. I'm not talking about that. Really, what has captivated your heart? And number two, how do you want your life to be bookended? She loved the Lord, loved the Lord, and he loved whatever. If we're going to end well, if we're going to have a victory, in this deal with our hearts. It is an ongoing struggle, but I think Peter really helps us. We are strangers. We've been shown mercy. We're to sing forth his praises to remember these things every day help us. And then Proverbs, a book of wisdom written by the very man who blew it. Oh, Solomon, if you could have kept this. Keep, guard your heart. With all diligence, and diligence means to put a post there, a guard there. For out of it are the issues of life. And so, my dear brother and sister in Christ, this is not about a thousand wife problem. This is a first commandment problem. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
This is an affection problem. And in that way, we are all like Solomon. Guard your heart. Keep it. For out of it are the issues of life. Let's pray this morning.